0: Welcome. It is good to see you today. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Heart of Life and I want to welcome just everyone who may be uh, joining us in this place, joining us online. Uh, We're grateful for the chance to be together. Uh, This time of year, it is a custom for me to stand and speak and see a lot of red. But for a long time last night, I thought it was going to be a day where I was going to be seeing a lot of black and gold, too. They almost, the Missouri Tigers almost pulled, like, the biggest upset in school history, I think. That was, that was pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. Hey, we're going to dig into uh, something that I'm really excited about sharing with you in just a minute. But first, it is October, isn't that wild? It is October. Uh, That means we got three months left in this year. And so every October, uh, like clockwork, I know that as a shepherd, this is the the day that I start this conversation that moves us toward the end of the year where I just remind you, we as a church have a great mission that God has given us. Uh, We just saw some folks come back from from Togo and West Africa this week. And, man, I'm, I'm thrilled just to hear what they got to see and the next steps that God's doing and churches starting and schools. And uh, God has given us a great mission abroad, and he has given us a great mission here at home. And the way that God's designed for us is to carry out that mission is that together we resource the mission. All right? And so that's simply the call that I begin to make about October the 1st of every single year as we move toward the completion of a year. Um, every, almost every year, and I've been here for 22, I think. Almost every year at the beginning of October, we as a church have always spent more in the mission at this point in the year than we have taken in, almost every year. So it's not a scary point for me. It's just kind of how it works. But we make up a lot of ground between now and the end. And so just encouraging you to don't get off the mission, right? Um, if you are exploring who Jesus is, if you are a guest at Heart of Life and you're just checking out what's going here, don't you hear what I'm saying right now as some hard sell? It is not any kind of guilt message that I will share today nor any other day, what I want you to hear is simply an encouragement from a shepherd to a people that says, God has given us a mission that we get to see people's lives transformed. Let's finish strong again. Okay? That's it. That's it. Now, I'm going to start today by reminding you of a little story. There is a significant section of Scripture that is recorded in the Bible that tells the story of David before he's king. God has declared he's going to be king, but David's not king yet. Saul is the king, but Saul is jealous of David, and so David is running from Saul. And there's multiple chapters that that tell us this story. Well, at one point, David is running, and he runs toward a different region where he encounters a king named Achish of Gath. And the servants of this king, Achish, begin to say to him, hey, isn't this David, the king of the land, like they already know? And they say, Isn't this the guy that people are singing about? And they they dance when they sing this little song that says Saul, who was the king, remember, he, he has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. It doesn't really seem like a song you would dance to, but apparently they did a lot. I want you to hear David's response. I want you to see David's response that is recorded in Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 21, it goes like this. David took these words to heart and was very much, what's the word? Afraid. He's afraid of Achish King of Gath. Now, why at that news would David be afraid? Because David now fears that Achish thinks he's a threat. David is running because he's trying to get away from a threat, who is Saul. He's looking for a place to, to be able to kind of hang out and might maybe rest, right? And, and suddenly, now though, this king of Gath hears that David is who he is and he's like, uh oh, he's gonna think I'm a threat and he's gonna take me out too. He's afraid. So he pretended, that's David, the king, to be, he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman. I just want to show you one of the things he did, making marks on the doors of the gate. So some sort of scratching, right? When we tend to read this, we we kind of think graffiti or something, but it's like, what's he going to grab, a Sharpie, right? He, He doesn't exactly have Sharpies in the drawer, so it's some kind of scratching or marking on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. That's attractive, isn't it? It's funny when you read the king's response, Achish's response, it it goes like this. Why do you bring me this madman when I already have a bunch of these around me? That's literally what he says. Like I got crazy people everywhere around me. Why are you bringing me another one? Here's the picture I want you to see. When David... This is the David that slays Goliath. Remember Goliath, who, by the way, was a champion from where? Gath. But God has demonstrated already the power that he could operate with in David's life. He's declared that David's going to be the king. But all of a sudden, David perceives a threat. And when he perceives a threat, he begins to react in fear And when he reacts in fear, he suddenly reduces himself to look like the rest of crazy. So how do you respond when life threatens? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do you respond when maybe the threat of loss is suddenly in play? Maybe a loss of your health, a loss of your job, let's say, therefore financial. Uh, Maybe a loss of relationship. What do you do when life threatens? What do you do? Maybe it's a, a threat of mistreatment, mistreatment from an enemy or even worse, right, someone that you thought you could trust. Have you ever found yourself responding like David did, that suddenly the threat results in a fear that leads to action, that looking back, you go, man, that was foolish, like scratching on the door. The Apostle Paul today in the book of Philippians is about to give us another option. But the funny thing to me is, as soon as I begin to read this other option, I, I'm warning you, you're going to go, you, you might go, that seems crazy. Like the, 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 what he's about to give us might sound crazy at possible but at, at first, but, but what if it's possible? What if it's possible? Philippians chapter 4, we have arrived at verse 4, and here is what Paul tells us. Rejoice. Hmm. Rejoice. And just so you know, the understood you that's here, it's plural. It, it is not a singular you. We're, we're not dealing with the, the companion that Paul just addressed that we, he asked right, him to take care of the two ladies who were, who were right, having the, the, the fight or disagreement, if you will. No, it goes plural again. And he's like, hey, everybody, I I want you to rejoice. Rejoice in your circumstances. No. Rejoice in the Lord. And we're going to talk about that. Always. Always. And the language here is, and I will keep on saying to you, rejoice. It is the only word that's repeated in this sentence, which does not mean the rest of the words are not important. It just means this is the big point. (laughs) Rejoice. He's saying that's what I call you to. Now, here's what makes this weird. If you just read that by itself, you're like, okay, he's telling them to rejoice. But if you know the story that we have been unpacking for nine months now, you know that there's some stuff going on in the lives of these people. Like, maybe it's not rejoicing territory. Like, Paul just dealt with the girl fight. There's a girl fight within the church. That's not exactly the stuff that makes a shepherd go home and go, yeah, rejoice. Rejoice. We know from chapter 1, there's also opposition and conflict from the outside. There were enemies that Paul was dealing with. There were people who wanted to harm those who were following Jesus. We know there is imprisonment. Paul's in prison. And we know that there's persecution. He has just dealt with the lowly body. He's talking about no matter what happens to you, even if they were to take your life, even if they were to persecute you, all of that is the context from which Paul declares, rejoice. How? Rejoice. Go back to the verse. Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. That means in relationship with Him. Not in my circumstances, but in this relationship that I have with God, this absolutely unthinkable truth that now there is peace between me and the God of all of creation. He has forgiven me. He has embraced me as his son. I am his family. I I am in relationship with him. I, I can rest in his presence. I can rely on his power. And that makes it possible that even in crazy circumstances, even in painful circumstances, even in threatening circumstances, I can rejoice. Now, Paul, this is not the first time he's talked about joy in this letter. I'm going to show you one other place, chapter 1, verse 25. Here, here's what Paul said Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, he's saying, with them. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and, look at this phrase, joy in the faith. I want you to to write, if you're going to write something down today, this is worth writing down. Joy is what faith does. Joy is what faith does. You know people that don't have joy. You know, they're not hard to spot. You know people that don't have joy. And sometimes they're even in the church, right? And it's the the person, it's always negative, always grouchy, always living life in the gear of critical, right? Right now you got faces coming to your mind, Here's here's what the Bible teaches us. Those folks, even in church, may know what faith is in the sense of they could give you a definition of it. Like if we gave a test and said, give me a definition of faith. Sometimes those folks could give you the definition of faith. No, no, No doubt they could probably tell you multiple Bible stories of where faith is displayed. But the truth is, they are not operating in faith because joy is what faith does now come on i'm not saying that there's never tears don't don't hear me say that i'm not saying that there's never sorrow even jesus modeled that right there were moments that he wept it does not mean that we don't even grieve at times But the point is to be when you look at our lives, people of faith are people of joy because of who our faith is in. I don't want you to see that today as discouragement. I want you to see that today as I want, I want, I want to believe God at such a level that when people look at my life, yes, they can see me weep with them. Yes, they can see me hurt with them. But they know when they see me, my life is joy. But there's more. There's more. Go back to verse 4. Look at it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it. I will keep on saying it again and again. Rejoice. Let Your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness. Now, here's where we got to hang out for a little bit. Sometimes, when you get a word in one language and you're trying to translate that word to another language, there is not another word in the other language that is a companion to that word. It happens every once in a while. It happens, actually, sometimes more than we realize. That is the case of what's going on with this little word in the text today that the translation that I read has translated it gentleness, but I'm telling you, the meaning is too big. There is too much to this word to simply be summarized with one word. So I, I just I want to prove to you, I want to show you for just a minute how this works sometimes, and so I'm just going to give you a list of as I have studied this text over the last several weeks, some of the words that different Bible scholars, way smarter than me, have said, this is how I would translate the word, all right? For example, gentleness, we just saw it. This same word is found in another letter of the Bible, 1 Timothy. It is sandwiched between the, the, the command to not be violent And don't be quarrelsome, be gentle, it's this word, all right? But some will translate it reasonableness, as in when you are are facing a situation, come on, you know people who handle things and they are just not reasonable in the way. There, there There is this sweet reasonableness to how you go about dealing with something, all right? There is a calmness. But it's more than just calmness. Some would say it's about think goodwill. Beyond calmness, you are actually seeking the good of others as you are going through these situations. I'll just keep going. Consider it, as in you consider more than yourself. Isn't that hard when you find yourself in a difficult situation? You're like, actually, this is about me. No, consider it means I'm, I'm, I'm taking an account of more than just my view of what's going on here. Some would use the word generosity, as in big-hearted, beyond what you would expect in in terms of how you respond in that moment. Some would use the word mercy toward the failure of others. I, I saw someone use the word indulgence. Now, this does not mean indulgence, as in you indulging in sin, but it does mean that you can indulge in the lives of other people who are in sin and you not be offended or unkind or bitter. That's what it means. And then one more, the word patience, meaning that you are able to to go through even injustice without responding with hate or retaliation. Now, here's what you got to know. In light of all these words, all right? The key is that all of this is happening under pressure. That's the context of all these words. You're being gent, there's a gentleness under pressure, there is a reasonableness under pressure, there is a goodwill under pressure. It's happening under pressure. So, this is the image I wanted to give you today. Every No, fairly often. I'll start to say every so often, that's a lie. Fairly often. I like to take some seasoning that I'm fond of and I mix it with some good ground meat and let it sit there for a little bit and then I form it into a ball. Right, and hopefully more than one because there's more than one person who's eating, so at least six where I come from. I hope I got at least six or somebody's fighting. And then I take that ball and I drop it on the top of a hot cast iron black stone grill. That no, I did not win from Heart of Life on Father's Day. <laughs> we bought it ourselves, all right? I drop that on that hot cast iron top and then I press. This sucker's heavy. You could, you could like lift with this thing if you wanted to. I mean, it's dual purpose, all right? It was well worth the money. You press on top of that ground meat. So the picture is you've, you've got, it is intense. When you do that man's stuff, is, is there's a sound and there's a, right? It is intense. There is heat. That is there. There is pressure that is there. But I'm just declaring to you there's something beautiful that happens in there. Something beautiful happens in there. And I want you to know that is the context of what we're dealing with in this word today. It is when the heat is on, and it is when the pressure is on that God can work something beautiful in you. And I am not smarter than any of the Bible scholars who, who gave us that list of words, but, but I'm going to try because they obviously couldn't decide. So here we go. I, I'm not going to do it with one word. I'm going to put two words together, and I'm going to call it gracious stability. Gracious Stability. And the reason I picked that word is because graciousness is woven throughout every one of those words that we saw, a, a generosity, a consideration, a gentleness, goodwill. There is a grace that, that just permeates every single one of those words. But also what we're dealing with here is just this solid, this calmness, this steady. The, 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 te- the line that we've already read in this chapter is stand firm in the Lord. It is a gracious stability that you may offend me, you may mistreat me, you may misjudge me, like you may accuse me of something that I did not do, maybe to the point of ruining a reputation. Maybe you've done that and I didn't deserve it. Or maybe... You've not given me something that I actually deserve, right? You've experienced before that maybe you did the work, but, but you weren't rewarded for what, right? Whether it's giving you something you don't deserve or you should have been given something you do deserve, you are the recipient of injustice. And the way we respond is gracious stability. That's how our culture responds, right? Man, when I'm studying this the past two weeks, I'm going, I don't know that there is a greater encouragement and command for the church right now in the world in which we live that says, if we don't agree, you hate me, and so I hate you. I hate you first. Like, that's our world. If we don't agree, we hate. If we don't agree, we fight. And the scripture is confronting us today, going, no, there is a gracious stability that looks different than anything you are seeing in the culture around you, that it is possible for inside the church for us to disagree on some things. We can disagree on strategy. We can disagree on some methods, right? We can disagree on some details and... We're supposed to be able to disagree with the world because we do in terms of what God declares is right and wrong. We are supposed to be able to disagree with the world, but if we do it with a gracious stability, something very beautiful happens, something very powerful happens. Look at the verse again, verse 4 and 5, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. Let it be evident to all. Like this is not just supposed to be something in the church. Which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop for just a second. And this is like, I can't tell you how many people over the last couple of weeks have slipped up beside me and said, Jeff, is there like some really bad conflict happening in heart of life? And I am grateful to say, no. Like, I don't know of pastors who are fighting it out, and I don't, I don't know of any deacons who are fighting it out, and I don't know of any teachers. Like, no. We're doing this because it's the next section in Philippians. You know what I mean? And I would rather teach it to avoid those kinds of things than have to stand up and deal with a fight that's already happening. So, no, it's not. But God is growing us thank goodness that even though that conflict does not exist, let's make sure it doesn't. Let's make sure it doesn't. That in the church, we are always operating with one another in this gracious stability, but also out there. Here's what we learned in chapter 2. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Anybody miss that week? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You're like, but Jeff, when I read the Bible, I just don't know because, man, our generation is messed up. So was Paul's, warped and crooked, and most of you haven't been to prison yet for following Jesus, yet. Most of you have not been persecuted yet for following Jesus. That, that was his story. But yeah, our, our world, it is, it is warped and it is It all it, oh, it has been. It has been. There is a selfishness, there is an arguing, there is a, a fighting that goes on in our world. And when the church takes the same approach, we look just like the rest of the world. We look just as crazy, scratching at the door. All right. So how do we not do that then? I mean, what, Jeff, what, what would be behind this? What, what gives us the, right, the power to have such gracious stability? It is a God who is bigger than any pressure, any threat, any injustice, and any loss. And what was true for David on that day that he stood before King Achish is also true for you and I today in whatever threat we stand before in this broken world. Because here is the anchor. Go back to verse 4 and 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now, when we use the word near, we know that that can have different aspects to it in the sense of I can say this TV is near me, meaning space, right? The space is near. At the same time, I can say um, Monday morning is near, Right? It's a time factor. Sometimes it's space, sometimes it's time. Well, what is it that makes it possible to live with joy in the, mi- in the middle of a messed up world? What is it that makes it possible to live with gracious stability when the rest of the world tends to act like madmen? It's your view. It's your mindset. It's your understanding. It's your thinking Correctly, the Lord is near. And so you're going to see, this will make a little more sense as today's me just starting this ball rolling. But as we unpack this section of scripture, we have chosen to call it rethink. Rethink. And I want you to hear me. This is is not just some series about, hey, the more positive you think, then the more powerful your life will be. This is bigger than just rethinking your circumstances. This is a call to rethink what Scripture reveals regarding who God is. Not that you stop thinking that this world is broken, because this world is broken. This is not a rethink how you see the world, come on, uh, the world's not really broken. No, it is. This is a rethink in terms, though, of seeing that broken world surrounded by this unbelievable truth. The Lord is near, and your view of God will control your conduct. Who you know God to be reflects, it It empowers how you act, that you are resting in a confident faith in him based on who you know God to be. So, I'm saying we're starting today saying, okay, if who is God? Who is God? If that is a critical question for me to answer in order to live with joy and in order to live with a gracious stability, Where are you going to find out who is God? Well, just so happens this week, you can grab your lawn chair and meet me at Secret Church because you know what the theme of the night is? Who is God? And if you ever hang out very long on who is God, you know what tends to happen? Worship. I'm pretty fired up about Friday night. Secret church is always good, but I don't know, there's an expectation in my heart for this one. We are just going to hang out on who is God. I get it that there are other options that you got for Friday, and there is no way that I'm admitting that what's going to be presented on Friday night can compete with the billions of dollars that can be spent on other options for you, billions of dollars spent to entertain you and uh, an experience that you can remember, but here's what I know. you start focusing on who God is and God's people start worshiping him for who he is, the result, a billion dollars can't touch. I know, there's no childcare. So like some of you are gonna have to work hard to get childcare, but it may be the best thing you ever do for your kids because if moms and dads figure out who God is, and that begins to shape how you love your children, you will transform your household. I'm just saying, if you want to know who he is, just so happens this Friday, I, aren't we brilliant for like planning this whole thing with perfect timing? <laughs> Seriously that like nine months ago we were smart enough to know we would be on this verse of Scripture on this Sunday, and that it would just work out that Secret Church would be on on like the seven. Can I tell you we didn't? He did it. And if he did it, there might be something up. I invite you to join us. So let's just end with, hey, today... The truth about this God is, He is a God who is near. So, does that mean time? And I think yes would be the answer. When Paul says this, I, I think there's a part of him saying Jesus is near, as in the time for us to see him is near. Uh, we just finished chapter 3 and him reminding us that our home is not here. We are, we are citizens of heaven. That's, that's our homeland, right? We're, heaven is, is where we will belong forever and ever, and we are awaiting a Savior from there. So, like, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. We will see him. And and you're like you know well I know but they they've been saying he's coming soon for like two thousand years right even though a thousand years is like a day to him right but I, it's like I know a lot of people that think the time is near though the end times are near Kansas football is five and zero I mean <laughs> things are weird things are weird right. in all seriousness when is it i don't know like i don't know he gives us pictures of what we look for and I'm, i i don't know but that time is near and even if he doesn't like return in your lifetime can i remind you that the time is near because your lifetime is short your lifetime is short And, man, every once in a while as your shepherd, I feel this aching within me to just beg you to stop acting like your life is forever. This one. Stop acting like this life is forever. And this is all there is because we all will die soon. This is the encouraging part of the message, right? no i 'm saying if you live to a hundred years, which some people around here seem to do, even if you live to a hundred years, that is like just a, it is just like a dot on the timeline that we get we are forever and ever and ever with him. That means that this time it is short, no matter how young you think you are, no matter how many years you think you got we He will return soon or we will die soon, one way or the other. He is near. And he's saying, come on, live life with this perspective. Rethink how you see what's going on around you. Rethink how you deal with what you're going through. One day Jesus was speaking to uh, the crowds about the end and, and saying, "Hey, here's some things that you can look for." And this is one of the statements that he made. Matthew chapter 24, verse 33. He said, "Even so, when you see all these things, you know that He is near, right at the door." He's like, "You're gonna know it." He's, it's, he's, it's like he's right at the door, and when I I read this text this week, it it triggered my mind to another text of Scripture that most of you have heard more times than you can count, because we often use this Scripture when we're talking to someone that hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus, and this is one of those that that we pull out and we, we say, hey, do you know this? But I'm reminding you the text that I'm about to read to you was not first spoken by Jesus to people who do not believe. It was actually spoken by Jesus to the church. And this is what he said. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me it is one of the most remarkable statements. I, I, I think in Jesus is like you understand. We can do coffee, and we can do lunch, and we can we can do dinner. We we can we can do everything. He's like I, I, I'm I'm right here in time and space. I'm, I'm I'm right here when you need his strength. He is close enough to provide it. And when you whisper that request, he hears it. In fact, when you thought the thought about whispering the request, he read it. So when you feel the heat, when you feel the pressure of following Jesus in a world that is warped and it is broken. I am reminding you that when you feel that threat, you do not need to give in to the feeling of fear that at times comes over us. Instead of standing at the door, scratching like a man-man, open it! Because he's right there! Don't scratch at the door in fear and foolishness. Just open the door. He's right there. And you will look into the eyes of the one who is always bigger than whatever threat you find. He is bigger. David, at a moment, lost sight of that. And his act like the crazies kind of worked in the sense of they let him go. He's off the hook with King Achish, but he's still got to run from Saul. David ends up in a cave. Scripture tells us he ends up in a cave, and in that cave he starts to think about and process what just happened. Do you think David thought God could deliver him from Achish? Theologically, yes. (laughs) Practically, no, he operated in fear. Again, even though he had defeated Goliath, even though God has already said you're going to be the king, like if Achish kills you, you can't be the king. So you're not going to die, David. And it was in that cave that God began to put David's theology back together. There are several Psalms that we are told from Scripture David wrote from that cave, one of them is Psalm 57. David's language changes and his refuge is not in let me pretend and act crazy so that they'll let me go. Suddenly, suddenly his, his language changes and he says, God, in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow, in the shelter of your wings. David wrote some songs there. Your love, O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Remember that one? David wrote that before somebody else did. Psalm 57. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Man, his language changes because he begins to rethink This is what he says in Psalm 57, verse 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. Stability. Gracious stability. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. A gracious stability that says... Okay, whatever I'm going through, I will rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it again. Rejoice. No matter what my circumstances, no matter what the threat, no matter what fear I may perceive, I can rejoice because my God has created in me a gracious stability because he cannot be moved. And so instead of scratching at the door, I open it. Because he is there. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. It feels like one of the greatest responses that can happen for us today is we sing. <laughs> sing what we know to be true. So after I pray, I'll be available here At the sites today, there's leaders available for for every location that if there are things that you're wrestling with today, man, we'd be honored to pray with you, be honored to visit with you, to encourage you how we can. But at the same time today, I'm saying, I, I think, man, today is a day to sing what we know to be true. And maybe you're here today saying, but I don't think I can sing, man, because, Jeff, to be honest, if I'm really honest, man, I have said some things about God. Um, I guess in a way I have mistreated God. At times I have judged him wrongly. Hey, can we just say it that there are times that we tend to shake our fist in his face? You know what he does? In a gracious stability, he reaches out in the cave and he shows you how he loves you still. I will pray and we will sing. Dear God, maybe some of us find ourselves before a, a King Achish situation in our lives that it feels threatening, we feel a fear. God, we stand at a critical moment that I am asking you to give us eyes to see the truth of who you are as our God and that we do not have to scratch at the door like madmen. today we simply can open the door because you are here. God, there may be some of us who find ourselves in the cave after a moment that we didn't do that so well. I ask in this moment that you will give us eyes to see that we would rethink realizing who you are as the God who still pursues and the God who wants to do today what he did for David a long time ago. You will show us who you are. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for holding us. Thank you for being the God who is bigger than any threat. We worship you now in the name of Jesus. I pray.